0: Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. So we are in a series at the moment where we are looking at the life of Nehemiah and specifically we're looking at how Nehemiah built the wall. And so today I have the scripture of Nehemiah chapter six, verses 15 and 16, and for the sake of time, we're just gonna put it on the screen so that you can read along, but this is found in Nehemiah. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done by themselves. It said that this work had been done by the help of our God. By the help of our God. God, we're thankful that you're here in this place. God, we're thankful that you are a God who can be encountered and experienced. We're thankful that you're a God who is proud of us And God, we're thankful that you are helping us build a church that looks just like you. We want to be your bride. We want to uh, be looked on with pride when you look at this church, God. And so we're thankful that you're helping us build that we're thankful that you are giving us the strategies and the courage and the wisdom to know what to do. We're thankful that you're helping us build individually. We're thankful that you're helping us build corporately. And God, I'm asking that as you have been speaking to me and helping me prepare this word, that you would ensure that everybody hears the specific word that they need to hear today. And Holy Spirit, I know that you will be able to do it. Target these words so that people hear exactly what they need to hear. Amen. 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 I decided to uh, wear a suit today, which I don't always do, but, but, I, they, but they told me some years ago to wear a suit on special occasions. And I know that you probably feel like today is just any other Sunday. I know you probably feel like today is, just, like you just woke up and it's Sunday and like we're just going through the motions and stuff. But I woke up today believing that something is gonna turn around for somebody today. I woke up believing that someone is gonna get saved today, like for real saved today. I woke up believing that the enemy is gonna lose another one. I, I woke up today believing that somebody is gonna come in right relationship with Jesus. And so I just, I told Meredith this morning, I said, I feel like putting on a suit today because this is like, I just wanna sell I just wanna to prepare to celebrate for what Jesus is getting ready to do. So I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready when you are. I'm ready to celebrate today. Today we're going to be talking about what it means to finish well. We all know that it is often easier to start something than it is to complete something, right? This was true for me in my years growing up, Um, so much so that my family and and friends that I grew up with had a a friendly term for me. They called me half-job fill because I started so many things that I didn't necessarily finish, and so they would call me half-job Phil because I didn't finish all the jobs that I started, and I don't want to hear anybody calling me half-job Phil because this is something that I have been working on. This is something that is not as true in my life anymore, but I know that this is something that is true for many of us, that we prefer to start things, and starting things is easier than completing them. I put a poll on social media the other day just to ask you, is it easier for you to start something or is it easier for you to complete something? And it's true for us that we like to start things, right? We, we like to start things all the time, but it is more difficult for us to finish something than to start something. And I have worked on it for years to get better at this, but I, I'm still not perfect at this. I'm still working on this. And if you come into our home right now, then you'll see in our dining room an unfinished job that has been sitting for months now. Now, Meredith asked me a few months ago, she said, I really want to paint this dining room. And so she chose what color she wanted to paint And, you know, she got the the swatches and she got the little sizes, the little jars of paint. And you know how when you're trying to figure out exactly what color you want to paint something, you paint little squares on the wall to figure out with the lighting that's coming in and when the paint dries, which one's going to be the best option and all of those types of things. And so we chose the color of paint that we wanted. And so then we went out to the store and we purchased the paint that we wanted And that was over a month ago. And still now, if you walk into our dining room, you will see these three squares that are painted on the wall because this is an unfinished job. And I was reminded of it last night when we sat down to dinner, as we often do. I'm reminded of it every single time that we sit down to dinner, that this is an unfinished job in our home because it's easier to start something than it is to complete something. And you know this to be true in your own life as well. It's easier to start something than it is to complete something. But we know that society values not necessarily the things that we start. Society values the things that we complete. If you are a farmer, you know that your value is not in putting seed into the ground. You know that the value that you have is your ability to harvest the grain at the end of the season. Even though it's easier to do work at the beginning, the value that you find is in the completion of the thing. If you make cars for a living, you know that the value is not found in the parts of the car. You know that the value is found in the ability to assemble the car pieces together and have a completed car to sell to somebody. You know that if you have started a degree, you don't get the degree until you complete all the requirements and all the tests and all the assignments, and you are given the degree at the end, not at the beginning. You are paid at the end of the week, not at the beginning beginning of the week because it's easier to start something than it is to complete something it's so much easier it's so much easier to ask questions than it is to provide answers it's so much easier to point out problems than to find solutions it's so much easier to cast vision than it is to execute on the vision it's so much easier to talk than to do it's so much easier to start things than to finish things. And we know this to be true in, in November. If I was to ask you right now how your New Year's resolutions are going this year, you would probably like, feel a little bit sheepish, right? Like the goals that you'd set at the begin, beginning of this year, the goals of how much weight you want to lose, you probably haven't lost the amount of weight that you wanted to lose. You probably haven't gone to the gym as many times as you wanted to go to the gym. You probably haven't had the amount of vacations that you set to go and have. You probably haven't achieved all of the things. You probably haven't read the amount of books that you wanted to. Whatever goals that you set at the beginning of the year, probably aren't true for where you find yourself right now because it's so much easier to start something than it is to complete something. And I know that I don't have this altogether. But I know that I am better than I used to be in this. And so we're going to talk about how we can get better and better at completing things so that when we get to the end of our life, that the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than there goes somebody who started a bunch of things but didn't complete any of them right? We want to hear the master saying to us, well done. You have done well with everything that I have given you. You have been a good steward of all the things that I have given you. Well done. You have completed the tasks that I have laid out for you. You have completed the projects that I have laid out for you. Well done. How many people want to hear a well done? I want to hear a well done at the end of it all. And so we started this new series about Nehemiah just a few weeks ago, and if you're new today, we're so glad that you're here. I just want to give you a recap about who Nehemiah was and why we are studying out his life. And and if you maybe forgot about who Nehemiah was, he's this guy from the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus stepped foot on earth, thousands of years ago, there was a guy named Nehemiah. And if you go even before Nehemiah was around, we know that Jerusalem was destroyed, that the Israelites who are like the good guys of the Bible, the Israelites who are like God's chosen people in the Bible, that they decided to live against the standards that God had called them to, And so then God said, cool, if you don't wanna live according to the standards that I have laid out for you, then I'm gonna take my hands of protection off you. I'm gonna take my hands of provision off you. And then a nation called Babylon comes in and wipes them out and takes them as captives into an area called Babylon, right? It it exiles the entire community and then they destroy the temple and they destroy the walls of Jerusalem. And then over a hundred years go by before this guy named Zerubbabel rises up and then Zerubbabel says to the king at the time hey I want to go back to Jerusalem and I want to restore the temple and so the king lets him go and then Ezra rises up and Ezra says to the king hey I want to reinstate the law Ezra is this guy who's like a bible nerd and he says I want to reinstate the law and I want to make sure that all of our people understand the value of the law and so he does just that. And then Nehemiah comes along. And Nehemiah is basically a project manager. And he is given the task of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And this is an enormous task to take on. It would be enormous if we tried to do it today. It was even more so thousands of years ago for him to take this on because there was enemies who were trying to stop them from doing what they were doing and there was conflict within the tribe as well to stop them from doing what they were doing. People didn't want the wall to be rebuilt and it had been tried before as well. We know from earlier in the story that Zerubbabel had tried to build the wall, but he wasn't able to do it because God had tasked him to build the temple. And God had tasked Ezra to reinstate the law, and God had tasked Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. And what it makes me think about is about how they all had value, but they had different tasks. They all had value, but they had different responsibilities. It makes me think about how we are the body of Christ. That's the way that the New Testament talks about it. It says that we are the body of Christ. We are the church. And it wouldn't make any sense if the eye said to the hand, I don't need you. And it wouldn't make any sense if the foot said to the knee, I don't need you. It wouldn't make any sense if John said to Meredith or Christian said to Sarah that I don't need you because we all have value, but different tasks and different things that we bring to the table. And so just like Zerubbabel had value, he did something specific that God had called him to do. And just like Ezra had value, he did something specific that God had called him to do. And Nehemiah had value, but it was different than what the other people before him were tasked to do because God had given him something unique to do. And like I said, this was a big task to do. Thousands of years ago to try and build a wall like this, this, is, um, this wall is over two and a half miles long around this city. This wall is over 40 feet high. Now I still function in, in the metric system, but I, and I've never measured it, but I would say that this is like from the floor to the ceiling is pretty close to about 40 feet. Would you agree? Ish, right? Ish. Ish. All right, so, so imagine a wall that is two and a half miles long and about 40 feet high, and this was built by hand. This was not built with the modern-day technology that we have today. This was not built with skilled laborers. Scripture says that this wall was built by farmers, that Nehemiah did not have stonemasons at his disposal, that Nehemiah did not have bricklayers at his disposal, he didn't have big, strong, burly men at his disposal, that Nehemiah had perfumers at his disposal to build this wall. And I've never looked at the hands of a perfumer, but I would doubt that the hands of a perfumer are ready to build a wall that is 40 feet high and two and a half miles long. This was a big wall. Right? Because walls were not just meant to be something that looked good. Walls were meant to be something that protected people. They were meant to be something that stayed for a long time. And this is, a, this is a real wall. We discovered this wall back in 2007. Like it was buried for a while, but then back in 2007, we actually discovered this wall. You can look at this wall today. We've got a photo. You can go and see this wall today. This is a wall that if you wanted to go and see, you can see, like it's a for real wall that you can go and see. This is not just something in the Bible that we're trying to debate. Was it, you know, is it poetic or did they really mean what they said that they meant? Did Jonah really get swallowed in the belly of a whale for three days? Or did God really create the universe in six 24-hour time periods. Like, we can debate those things back and forth, but this is a for real wall. You can go and see this wall today because in 2007, we found it. And the reason that I bring this up, the reason that I say this to you is because I know that some people get nervous the further that we go into the future because they see that we're getting further and further away from the events of the Bible. And often, when we get further and further away from the events of something, the truth gets a little bit blurry, right? Like if an event happens today and then in a month's time we all come back together to try and share our memory of that thing, chances are we are all going to have different recollection about what actually happened, right? Right? And we all played this game called telephone growing up, right? Where somebody starts with one phrase and then they share that with the person that's next to them and then they share that with the person that's next to them and so on. And then by the end of the conversation, what was started is completely different than what was finished as a message. But the thing that encourages me about finding the wall like this is that the further that we go into the future, the more that we realize that the truths of the Bible are actually accurate. The more that we discover in the future the more it points out the validity of the Bible. The more that we can stand on the foundational truth of the Bible. The more that we go into the future, the more that we realize that we need the message of the cross. The more that we go into the future the more that we understand that we need the message of the gospel and the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not nervous about the future. I get excited about the future because the further that we go into the future, the more that we realize that the Bible is true. The Bible is not going to be misproven. The Bible is not going to be overridden. The Bible is the inerrant word of God that we are proving as we continue moving forward in time. And so I get excited about it. I get excited about studying science and I get excited about studying the future and where we're going and what's happening and everything that we're discovering because all it's doing is proving to us about the Bible and the truth that God wrote it. And the thing that's significant about Nehemiah writing, uh, excuse me, the thing that's significant about Nehemiah building the wall was not necessarily in the physical act of building the wall. The thing that's significant about Nehemiah building the wall was that it represented fulfilled prophecy. Because it wasn't just about building the wall necessarily. Like I said earlier, there was a hundred year period from when Jerusalem was destroyed. A hundred years goes by before Nehemiah is able to rebuild the wall with the people that are around him. And so for a hundred years, people have been prophesying, have been hearing from God prophetic words, people like Jeremiah that we read about in the Bible and people like Daniel that we read about. These people had been prophesying that the people would return from exile back into Jerusalem and that they would rebuild the wall. And so when they prophesied that, that's exactly what happened. They returned back into Jerusalem and they rebuilt the wall. And we see other people prophesy that a Messiah is going to come and then that Messiah comes because we know that God doesn't lie. We know that if a prophetic word is from God, that it is going to come to pass. That if God promises something, then he is going to fulfill it. That if God promises he's not a man who should lie, that God is going to form it out. God is going to act on it. God cannot lie. If God said it, it will happen. And the question Then becomes is how long are we willing to wait for it? How long are you willing to wait? Because if God said it, it's going to happen. But how long are you willing to wait for the promise that he has made over your life? Because the promise came and over a hundred years passed for Nehemiah and his people. Over a hundred years passed. Generations have now passed before the promise took place. How long are you willing to wait For something. If God spoke it to you, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be the recipient of that promise. If God spoke it to you, it will happen, but it might not happen in your lifetime. If God spoke it, it might happen in your children's lifetime. If God spoke it, it might happen in future generations. If God spoke it, it will happen, but it might not happen when you want it to happen. How many people know that God doesn't work on our timeline? Right? Like, I'm incredibly impatient. If God said it, I want him to do it now. Often, I don't understand why God would say something and then make us wait for it. I'm like, God, if you said it, just do it. You don't need to tell me that you're gonna do it. Just do it in the first place, right? But I'm, I'm just... I'm just impatient. I don't want to wait for things. I I want to see what God is going to do. I don't want to have to wait for them because I'm impatient. And I think that if we all take a look at ourselves, then we all understand that we're a little bit impatient when it comes to recognizing and understanding what God is doing in our life. And it's going to come to pass if God promised it. It will come to pass. But it's really about how long you're willing to wait. And really, that's what we're talking about here, because starting something is easy and completing something is hard. And the thing that makes it hard is the journey in the middle. And the thing that makes it hard is because we are impatient. The thing that makes it hard is because there is a gap from the beginning to the completion of the thing, and we don't like going through the journey in the middle because we are impatient. And the enemy doesn't care if you start something. I want to be really clear about this. The enemy doesn't care if you start something. The enemy doesn't care if you decide to stop looking at pornography today. The enemy doesn't care about that. The enemy doesn't care if you decide to get clean from drugs today. The enemy doesn't care if you decide to stop drinking alcohol excessively today. The enemy doesn't care about breaking free of addiction today because the enemy knows that tomorrow is coming. And the enemy knows that he can hit you tomorrow in your moment of temptation. And so the enemy doesn't fight fair. The enemy likes to hit you when you are least expecting it, and we know this to be true from the story, the parable of the farmer who scatters the seed. That the enemy likes to come when things are young, and he likes to strangle the plants that have just started growing. That the enemy likes to go after things early in their journey. The enemy likes to go out when you've just made a commitment to start living for Christ. That's when the enemy wants to take you out. He doesn't care that you just made that decision. He wants you to doubt that decision tomorrow. He doesn't care that you just got healed today. He wants you to doubt that you were healed. The enemy wants to hit you early in your journey because he knows that the middle is where the struggle is. He knows that there is difficulty in the middle between the start and the completion of something because in the middle, the middle is where we have resistance. It's not even necessarily that the beginning is easy and the completion is difficult. Because in reality, the completion of something is actually kind of easy too. The completion of something is when we actually get to celebrate. The completion of something is when we get to rally around, we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. The the completion of something is not even necessarily the hard part either. It's the, the middle. The middle. In the middle is where we find that we lose the most hope. The middle is where we get the most distracted. The middle is where we are the furthest distance from the beginning and the furthest distance from the completion. And so we lose hope and we begin to receive resistance and we begin to lose hope and we begin to get distracted. And maybe that's where you find yourself today is in the middle. Maybe you started something well and maybe you're looking forward to being able to celebrate something, but maybe you find yourself in the middle today. Maybe you're struggling in the middle today. And I just wanna tell you, if you're here and you're in the middle and you're still standing, then that is evidence of the fact that you still have destiny over your life. That is evidence of the fact that you still have the promise of God over your life. I know that the middle is messy and I know that there is struggle in the middle, but you are still standing in the middle. Keep on standing. Don't set up shop in the middle. God doesn't want you to wait in the middle. Keep on moving. Even if you find yourself in hell today, keep on moving. Keep on walking. Keep on going. You might find yourself in a difficult season right now. You might find yourself in a difficult situation right now. I just want to encourage you, don't sit in the middle. Keep on moving. Keep on going. Even if you find yourself in hell, keep on going. Keep on going because I promise you it will get better. I promise you it will get easier. I promise you that God wants to walk with you. I promise you that God wants to put good people around you. I promise you that it will get better for you as you keep on walking. And you might not believe me today because you're sitting in the middle and all you can see is the middle that is around you, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope at the end of the journey. I promise you as you set your eyes on Jesus, you will find the hope that he has positioned for you. Don't sit in the middle. Don't sit in the middle. Keep on moving. The author of Hebrews says it like this in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The cloud of witnesses there are referred to in the chapter beforehand. The cloud of witnesses are the people that have gone before us. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, which we often refer to as the whole of faith. It refers to people like Noah and Abraham and Moses. And these are the people that are now the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. These are the people who are cheering us on in our journey. These are the people that when we're feeling like we're in the middle, when we're feeling like we have no hope, when we're feeling like we're never gonna get to the other side, these are the people that we can look to and we can say, you know what? By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham believed that he would have a son. By faith, Moses was able to get to the other side of the Red Sea. By faith, all of these men and women were able to do what God had called them to do. And it didn't look like they were gonna be able to do it. It didn't look like they were gonna be able to achieve it. It didn't look like they were gonna be successful, but by faith, they were able to achieve the ability to walk through to the other side. And so now, even if you find yourself in the middle, surround yourself mentally with a cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. Use their testimonies as a weapon against the enemy to ensure, because the enemy wants you to sit in the middle right? The enemy doesn't want you to complete the thing that God has has called for you to complete. So use the testimony of those who have gone before you to fill yourself with faith to ensure that that is a weapon against the enemy where you say, you know what, I am going to make it out of this thing. I do have hope in the name of Jesus Christ. I am going to keep on walking. God has given me victory, and I can keep on moving out of this season, out of this situation that I find myself in today. That's the cloud of witnesses, uh, a few weeks ago, there was an event, the New York Marathon, that took place. This is like two weeks ago. And thousands of people start this race every single year. And this year was no different. Thousands of people started the race. It's easy to start something, right? But about 200 meters before the finish line, someone collapsed on the road, unable to finish. Like their body literally gave way underneath them. They could not stand up, could not hold their own body weight, not because the beginning was difficult, not because the completion was necessarily difficult, but because the middle crushed him, literally could not get himself up off the ground. But he still completed the race that day, not under his own strength, but because several people went back and picked him up and carried him across the finish line. And as I sat and I watched this video, this video that you get to see right now, as I watched this video, I was reminded that this is who the church has been called to be that when we see people who have fallen, when we see people who cannot get up, we lift them, we encourage them, we carry them, we ensure that we are going with them to ensure that they can get to the finish line because my goal is not just to get to the finish line by myself. My goal is to get to the finish line with as many people as possible. Your goal should be to get to the finish line with as many people as possible. Not to get there first. I'm not trying to outrun you. I'm not trying to get there before you. My goal is to take as many people to the finish line as possible and that's who God has called us to be as a church to carry people when they fall to carry people when they fall into addiction to carry people when they're weak to carry people we are carriers at this church God has called us to carry people with us on this journey that has been set out for us and I know that that's antithetical to what the world tells you right the the world tells you that we're in competition with each other the world tells you that I'm competing against you and you're competing against the person that next, this next to you. And we compare ourselves all the time. Like we compare how much money I have versus how much money you have. And I compare the kind of car that I drive and the kind of car that you drive and the job that you have. And we compare all of these things, right? Because the world says that it's all this competition. It's all about comparing ourselves to each other. It's all like we compare my kids to your kids and, and why do my kids not listen like your kids do? And, and we compare all of these different things like we're in a competition about who has the sexiest spouse and I know that Meredith already won that one but you know we just compare things oh you just got that one but we just compare things all the time right because the enemy would have us believe the world would have us believe that we are in competition with each other but can I just tell you that like what I've learned over the last couple of years is that that everybody's faking it. That like that nobody really knows what they're doing. Right? Like people write books about how to parent their kids, and then you meet them, and you realize that they're not actually doing the things that they recommend that you would do in the book. Right? Like everyone's just guessing their way through life. Right? Everybody's guessing, especially in a pandemic world. Everybody's just guessing. Right, no one knows what they're doing. If anyone tells you that they know what they're doing, they're lying, they're making it up. No one knows what, like you, you might look at me today and you think that I have it all together because I'm wearing a suit and stuff, but like I, I have no idea what I am doing. I gotta be honest, y'all, especially today, right? I'm just as much a mess as the next person. I shout at my kids, right? I don't love my wife as selflessly as I should. I'm just as much a mess as the next person. And I just wonder if we can be a church that stops comparing ourselves to the next person. If we can be a church that doesn't hold ourselves to the standard of what Western success looks like about how much money you have in the bank or the type of job and promotion that you have or, or whatever. And instead of valuing the Western definition of success, instead of that, we set our, side, our eyes on Jesus recognizing that when we set our eyes on Jesus, that we complete things well. It's not about all the worldly things that the world says that we need and the world says that we should have and the world things, says that we should pursue. It's about setting our eyes on Jesus. And if you pursue Jesus, then you will complete your task well. If you set your eyes on Jesus, then you will fulfill the task well. If you set your eyes on Jesus, then you will finish this race well but just set your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted by the things that the world says that you need. Cast your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter and the finisher of your faith. Set your eyes on Jesus. And and I want to talk real quick for a few minutes about how we can do this well, about how we can improve the things that or how we can improve the amount of things that we are completing. Right? Because we know that it's easier to start something than it is to complete something. I want to talk really practically for a few moments because as I was reading through the story of Nehemiah what I was really realizing was that there's several things that he did to ensure that he was able to complete this task because it was a big task right it was a difficult task to complete and so we can look at the story of Nehemiah and we can study out things and we can realize how we can get better at completing things because I don't I don't care who you are, we can get better at completing things. Even if you're good at it today, you can get better at it. Even if you're terrible at it today, you can get better at it. Completing the things that God has given for you to do. So if you take a note, write these things down, okay? Two things. One is that we can do things naturally, all right? And the way that we can get better at completing things in a natural sense, this changed my life when I realized this, is to break down all things that we are given into either experiments or commitments. This is gonna change your life if you have never done this before. Break down the things that you are given, the invitations that you are given, the things that you want to try, break them down into either experiments or commitments. An experiment is something that you're just willing to try. An experiment is something that you're open to failing. And an experiment is something that you're willing to stop doing because you're just experimenting with it right now. Right? Whether you decide that you want to start learning a new language, right? you're experimenting with this thing right now and if you experiment with something eventually you decide if it's something that you want to continue into a commitment but when you make a commitment you should be resolute in that when you make a commitment you're saying i'm not experimenting with that thing anymore now i am committing to continue in this thing i'm not experimenting in my relationship with my wife anymore right I, there was a season of dating Right When we were getting to know each other, she was getting to know me, and I was getting to know her, and we were experimenting to see if this was good for each other. And then there was a moment when we decided to no longer experiment in that, where we got married to each other, and we are now resolute in the commitment that we have made to each other. Right, We're not experimenting in that. And the thing that's beneficial about dividing everything into either experiments or commitments is that it ensures that you don't take on so many things that you're going to fail in. It helps you say no to things. Because the problem with people that have a lot of initiative is that we often say yes before we've really counted the cost. We often say yes before we're really aware if that's something that we can actually commit to. And so it helps us because we all have capacity and we all have a certain amount of bowls that we can juggle or plates that we can spin. And so when you are experimenting with something, it's okay to put that thing down. But when you commit to something, you commit to it. You're resolute in it. You've decided within yourself that this is something that I am going to continue doing in. And if you fail, or if you give up on just as many of your commitments as you do as your experiments, then you're missing the point of this exercise, right? But divide everything into experiments and commitments. And, and when it comes to church life, this is what we're often asking for you to do. When we're inviting you into the journey of volunteering, we're asking for you to experiment with it. We're not necessarily asking for a lifelong commitment. We're asking for you to experiment in this when you start volunteering, for you to say, you know what, I'm open to seeing what God would do through this experience. I'm, opening, op- I'm open to seeing what God would have for me if I decide to step into this volunteer role. When we ask you to start giving for the very first time, I'm not necessarily asking for you to continue giving for the rest of your life. I'm asking for you to be open to seeing what the power of generosity can do over your life. Just experiment with it test it. Just see what happens. I'm just asking for you to experiment with that. Or if I'm asking for you to step into a life group, I'm not asking for you to give the rest of your life to this life group. I'm not asking for a lifelong commitment. I'm just asking for you to experiment and to see the power of community and authenticity and vulnerability and to see if this is something that God can use in your life to make you more like Jesus. That's what we're asking is for you to experiment with things and just to be open to seeing with what God can do for you through the next steps that we want you to take and the next steps that God would have for you. That's what we're asking for you to do. And so that's, that's what I have for you in a, in a natural sense is to divide everything into experiments and commitments. When There are things within, within your Christian walk that of course are commitments, right? Like when you decide to live for Christ, you're not experimenting with that anymore. When you get baptized, you are making a public declaration of your faith that you find in Christ, and you're telling everybody about that now. These are not things that you're experimenting with anymore. These are things that you have made commitments to, and this is, in a, in a natural sense, things that we can be doing. And in a spiritual sense, there are things that we can be doing as well, right? In, in the study of when we look at Nehemiah and what he did, there are things that he did that we can be learning from as well, because people had tried to build The wall before. People had tried before him and they had failed. People had tried and they weren't successful at building the wall, but there was something about the way that Nehemiah approached it that changed everything. What Nehemiah did was that he ensured that he spent more time in prayer than in action. The Bible says that it took 52 days to complete. It took two months to complete, but that Nehemiah spent four months in prayer Nehemiah spent four months in prayer for two months of work. He spent twice as much time in prayer as he did in work. And I wonder how often we have these things backwards, right? That we spend a moment in prayer, and then we think, God is now blessing that, I can now get to work. And if I'm just like truthfully honest, this is something that I struggle with as well because I'm an activator. I like to get to work. I don't like to spend a ton of time in planning. And so I I often will pray about something. And then when I feel like God gives us strategy, I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. But Nehemiah, y'all spent four months in prayer before he did anything. He spent months in prayer. And yes, he did work and yes, he, he rallied people and yes, he was a visionary and yes, he ensured that he was able to execute. But the way that he was able to execute is that he prayed as well. And remember that this wall laid in ruins for over a hundred years. It laid in ruins for a hundred years and then in 52 days, they were able to rebuild this wall. From a hundred years of ruins to now within 52 days, They were able to rebuild this wall. And when I think about that, I think about how that's some supernatural wind right there. That's some Holy Ghost wind that ensures that they are working not within themselves. They are not focusing on their own ability. They're not focusing on their own strength. They're not relying on the things that they have in a natural sense, but they are asking God to come along with them. They're asking for God to partner with them in this journey so that what took 100 years of destruction now only takes 52 days to be rebuilt. It only took 52 days to be rebuilt. And so when we see this in Nehemiah, I said this at the beginning, but it says the walls were completed in 52 days. And when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God They didn't do this work themselves. They didn't do it just because they were good builders. They didn't do it because they were good at strategy. They did it because God had helped them. And there's something powerful in how God can help speed up your journey. And you might find yourself in the middle today, and I want to pray for you if you find yourself in the middle, because you might be struggling to get out of this. Meredith shared last week about how when our truck truck that we had was getting stuck in the mud, we just worked harder and harder and harder to get this thing out of the mud, but it took people around us, and it took some strategy around us to get this thing out. And you might feel like I'm just spinning in the middle right now. You might feel like I'm just working, but I'm not making any progress, but I just want to pray over you right now that the, the power of the Holy Ghost would come at your back and that you would feel the mighty power that only he can provide. And if that's you today, if you feel like you're struggling in the middle of a relationship, if, if you feel like you're struggling in the, in the middle of a season, if you feel like you're struggling in the middle of a, a job or, or the middle of whatever, if you feel like you're struggling in the middle, I wanna encourage you to do something bold and just stand right where you are so that I can pray over you today because I believe that where you are leaned in that God will honor that. I believe that where you are standing and where you are willing to receive that God is going to move on your behalf. I believe that you have been trying to do this thing that you have been trying to do in your own strength. You know it. You've been trying to do it for too long in your own strength. You've been getting frustrated. You've been getting mad at God crying out, God, where are you? Why am I struggling in this season? Why can I not shake this off? Why can I not get out of this? But I believe that the power of the Holy Ghost is about to blow on your situation. The power of the Holy Ghost is about to meet you right where you are. And if you just receive him now, he's gonna change everything for you. It's going to change everything for you. God, I pray over those that are responding in this moment that you would blow in their direction. That the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit would blow over their situation, over their relationship, over their journey. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, change what only you can change. I thank you that you have given each the strength to stand today. I thank you that you have given each the strength to be here today. But God, I'm asking for more. I'm asking that you would give them the strength to keep on walking. I'm asking that you would give them the hope that there is presence of Jesus on the other side. God, I'm asking that you would restore minds, that you would restore peace where it is needed. God, I'm asking for you to do what only you can do turn each situation around right now, God. God, I'm believing for it. I'm asking for it. We're asking for it collectively today, God. We're asking for you to move. God, we're asking for you to relieve burdens. We're asking for you to restore hope. Do what only you can do today, God. Move how only you can move today, God. Be present how only you can be present today, God. God, we receive the power of the Holy Ghost in this moment. We receive the strategy of the Holy Ghost in this moment. We receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the blessing of the Holy Ghost. Blow, Holy Spirit, all across this room, all across everybody who is joining right now, blow Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Help people walk again, help people breathe again, help people have hope again. Do what only you can do today, God. We're thankful for it. I'm thankful that you're moving. I'm thankful that you're giving us the strength to keep on walking. I'm thankful that you're giving us the strength to stand up, that you're giving us the, the people around us that we need to help carry us. I'm thankful that you are making us a church that carries others around us. God, thankful, we're thankful for what you're doing in this place. Keep breathing, God. Keep blowing, God. Keep doing it, God. God, we commit to keep on walking. With our head held high, we commit to keep on walking today, God. God you have made us to be victors, you have made us to be victorious. You don't want us to fail at the beginning, you don't wanna us fail in the middle, you don't want us to fail at the end, God you have made us to walk this out with mighty victory that you have made us to be victorious and so I'm thankful that you have given us the victory. I'm thankful that you have given us the hope. I'm thankful that you are moving on our behalf I'm thankful that you knew about the issue before we were even aware of it, God. I'm thankful for what you're doing. I'm thankful for it, God. We're thankful, God. We receive you today, God. We're thankful that you're doing what only you can do all across this place. We're thankful that you're doing what only you can do. Our hope is in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.